0: Those of you who are married, I hope that isn't the way your uh, engagement went. Uh, We're in a series, Me and My Big Mouth, emphasis on me and my. The tendency is to say, uh, somebody else needs to hear this, somebody else needs to do this. Let's focus on ourselves. Today's topic is according to code. So let's catch up the first two weeks. Some of you weren't here. First, we gave you a a slogan, a statement, a phrase to, uh, to help you with this. It's on our refrigerator at home. So I'm reminded of this all the time, which is good. So we're supposed to be what? Quick to what? Slow to do what? Speak. Slow to do what? Speak. Quick to Listen. listen. So hopefully you're all working on this. Hope you're making improvements. I think I am. And then last week we talked about the tongue being so, it's a powerful thing. Powerful for good or powerful for evil or for bad. And we gave you three words to help you with that. Uh, we ended with this: remember, remember that it's powerful. Every time you open your mouth, every time you use your tongue, what comes out is powerful. And just like with a power tool, you have to be careful when you're cautious when you're working with it. So, so with the tongue. And so, one way you can do that is to surrender your tongue uh, to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I, I need you to control my tongue. I can't do it. In fact, we said last week, your tongue is unpredictable, it's untamable. You can't do it. So, God, I can't control my tongue, but please help me. I need your help to do this. I surrender it to you. Let these words be your words. And then, of course, we all mess up. We all say things we shouldn't. And so, what do you do then? As soon as you do, as quickly as possible, you need to confess it. Say, oh, that was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And hopefully the person you you harmed or hurt, uh, will be responsive uh, to forgive you. So, that was weeks one and two. So I want to start off to today with this question. <clears throat> Who are you trying to be like? Who are you trying to be like? Who are your role models? Who are you trying to imitate? Who would you like to be like? One of the neat things about next week, we're going to hear about these football players that maybe idols of yours, maybe from a team that, that you uh, root for, and you're going to find out more important than the fact that they're a great football player is they love Jesus, and they tell other people about it. So who are you trying to be like? <clears throat> now we're, we've looked at what James, brother of Jesus, which is awesome that he would become a Jesus follower. Uh, we looked at the last two weeks of things James wrote. Today we're going to look at thing, something that Paul wrote. Now Paul was a fascinating guy, really smart, smarter than anybody probably in this room, uh, really passionate about his faith, and his faith was Judaism, so he was a Jew. Uh, He knew his Bible, Old Testament, better than you and I ever know the Bible. And so this is this guy. And when this Jesus thing came along, uh, he considered a cult. Now, we think of some things are cults today, but we don't try and wipe them out. Well, he thought, well, they need to be wiped out. So he got them arrested. He got them uh, uh, tortured. Some of them even got killed. So God's looking at this guy and says, "I, I want this guy on my side. And so there's this dramatic encounter between him and God. Uh, He sees a light, he's blinded, but he comes to see the light, he comes to understand. And then he uses this passion and this knowledge he has of his Bible, of God, to start churches. And he started all these churches, and then he would write letters back to them, because transportation was a lot slower than it is now, and so he'd write letters to them. Fortunately, some of those letters were kept and make up part of our Bible. And so we're going to look at one. It was to, his, to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 4. Now, if you're a, not a Jesus follower yet, uh, I can't expect you to pay any attention to any of this, to do what it says. I would just suggest to you it's good advice. It will be helpful and make your relationships better. If you're a Jesus follower, and most people in this room are, or might be watching, This is not optional stuff. (laughs) This is God's word. This is God's instructions. Uh, We shouldn't think of it optional. We do. But it's for our good, for our best. We should think of it as uh, instructions, orders, uh, commandments, whatever word you want to use. Um, So he's writing this church that was in a heathen, for a better word, culture, uh, Roman world. Ephesus was a very powerful city, uh, wealthy city. It was also a center of worship for Artemis, one of the Greek gods, Roman gods. In fact, one of the seven wonders of the world is the temple and the ruins of the temple uh, in, in, in Ephesus. But consequently, <laughs> it was a very wicked or evil uh, uh, place also. So people that lived there, most of them weren't Jews. So the people came; Jesus followers were non-Jewish, This is the culture they grew up in. This is the only culture they understood. So Paul is trying to explain to them the difference that they should be in their lives from the lives of the people around them and the lives they used to live. And so with that context, let's start in verse 17. We're also going to see this wonderful, I think, wonderful word picture in here. Help us understand. So with the Lord's authority, one translation says, "I, I need to insist on this. So again, not really optional for us Jesus followers. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, the people that aren't Jesus followers, the unchurched. uh, For they are hopelessly confused. Now this is an interesting expression. He doesn't condemn them. He said they're just confused. They don't understand. The light's not been turned on. Uh, This is all they've known. This is what they grew up with. This is what, what they've learned. And so this is the life they're living because... They don't know any better. But it's hopelessly confused. You're going to use some other we- words to help us with this. it, it just, uh, uh, it's not delivering what it's offering. You, you're hoping it's finding purpose and meaning, but it's not really given that to you. <clears throat> then he goes on, he says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives. Oh, well, why do they do that? Well, he already said they're... Confused, but then he says their minds have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Now, the way he describes this here, it's not like he's condemning them and and they're deliberately doing this. They just don't know any better. Their minds are closed and their hearts are hardened, but they have no other option. It's this hopeless confusion they're in. Important for us to remember because we all have people that we rub shoulders with, or we should, that aren't Jesus' followers. And we need to understand that their minds are are closed and their hearts are hardened. Not deliberately necessarily, uh, but they're confused. They don't know any better. And the world they lived in, might made right. So the men had all the power, the women had no power, the children had no power. Um, There wasn't this concept of uh, everybody has equal rights, everybody has equal dignity, uh, everybody should be respected. If the stronger you were, the more might you could observe, uh, exhibit. He goes on to explain some more. He says, they have no sense of shame, meaning about things they should be ashamed of in our moral system, but they had basically no morality other than might makes right. If I can do, force you to do this, if I can control you, if I can degrade you, if I can kill you, that's, that's my, my moral code. And he says, they lived for lustful pleasure and eager, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. <clears throat> now, one reason they did this is they were modeling their gods. And if anybody studied Greek mythology and Roman, the Roman gods, they had all these gods, and all these gods acted, we would say, horribly. <laughs> uh, they would rape women and all these kind of stuff because they had the power. They could do whatever they wanted to. So they were imitating uh, the gods that they were worshiping. And so they were living lustful lives, uh, uh, lives of impurity because that's kind of God's they they were it's kind of hard for us to imagine but that that's what they did and basically it was self-centered it was all about me getting whatever I wanted doing whatever I wanted uh, he describes it as all kinds of impurity and so he describes this life that these folks had before Jesus and most of their neighbors were living and I described it this way as the painful reality of a broken life because all these lives were broken. Uh, hopelessly confused. They're broken. They're not finding purpose and meaning in life. They're chasing after it. Uh, one translation uses the word futility. So it's, you know, it's like a uh, hamster, whatever it is, goes around that, uh, on that wheel. Just, it's running and running and running and not getting anywhere. Not accomplishing anything. It's just futile. Um, it's not delivering what you hope it'll deliver. And again, they basically had no rules. There was no moral code. Uh, Again, if I could get away with it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to seek whatever pleasure or what I think is going to be pleasure in my life. It's not going to deliver. It's going to be futile. But I'm hoping or I'm thinking because I I don't know any other options. I don't know any better. Now, he says, you're different. And he says, how does he say it next verse? This is what you've learned about Christ. So these, these Greek and Roman gods, they act horribly. But that's not what you've learned about Christ. Christ acted differently. He loved people. And uh, he's our example. And we're supposed to act like him, not like those gods, like the one true God. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. So that's the truth. (laughs) That we all are broken. We've broken our relationship with God. Only Jesus can fix it. And once he has, we are changed. He's going to talk about this dramatic change that comes about in our lives. We're going to see people as everyone with value. Everybody created the image of God. Everybody having equal rights. Everybody deserving respect. So consequently, we have no excuse. They have excuse. They don't know any better. They're confused. But you, you, Jesus followers, learn from Christ. You know the truth. You and I have no excuse. Then he uses an image. He says, throw off or take off or discard your old sinful nature, the way you used to be, uh, the way he described already. the The idea is taking a heavy coat off or taking off uh, uh, dirty rags and, and disposing of them. He says, "Throw off that old sin- sinful nature. Get rid of it. You don't want it anymore." And your former way of life, this way of, you know, if I can get away with it, I'm going to do it. No moral code, etc. He says, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Now, that's a neat, good word. Deceive. Deception. You think it's going to give you what you want. What everybody's seeking is after meaning and purpose in life and intimacy and relationships. And that kind of behavior doesn't produce that. But you think it will. Or that's, you don't know any better. So, it can't promise that. Or it can't keep that promise if that's what you think. So, it's deceptive. And it's futile. And it's hopeless. So he says instead. Okay. Just you. Jesus followers have options. Well everybody has an option. But he says. Instead let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. So our thoughts are supposed to be different. We're supposed to think differently. We're not supposed to think like we did before. Like whatever get away with anything I can get away with. Our attitudes are supposed to be different. We're not supposed to treat everybody uh, as worthless. Treat everybody as, as valuable. And he describes this as a new nature as opposed to that old nature. That's the next verse. So he says, put on this new nature, this new attitudes and thinking. Now here's the key, created to be like God. All right, so we're to imitate God, <laughs> not these false gods, Roman and, and, and Greek gods. We are created to be like God or Godly. And he gives two words to describe it. There's lots of other words, but he uses two here. Righteous and holy. Righteous and holy. Now, righteous or righteousness is basically doing what's right. More importantly, being in right relationship with. First and foremost, God, and then with each other. So he says, you're different. You're going to be in right relationship. You're going to have good relationship with people. You're going to treat people as uh, they should be treated, treat, treated with respect and dignity and so forth. Holy means separate. Now, the church has struggled with this over the last 2,000 years. Separate, but not isolated. And what we do, we like to kind of, I've kind of shared this before, I call it the holy huddle, where it's just nice to be with people like us. And we all believe, you know, the same way, and, and we all are trying to serve God, and that's what we do sometimes. But we can't be Isolated. The Bible puts it this way. Be in the world, but not of the world. So we're supposed to be out there rubbing shoulders, sharing Christ with all those people that, that are hopelessly confused, <laughs> which we were at one time. But we are supposed to live like God. Holy. Different. Now, as he describes this, one of the confusions also we have in Christianity is, I've got to force myself <laughs> to do this try and do it from the outside in and he says no 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 no! you have a new nature you're different on the inside and you need to let the newness on the inside come out so I put this uh, sentence on your outline not so we can become different so once you become a Jesus follower you are different (laughs) okay it isn't so you can become different but because we are different. You can't make yourselves do this. But God can work that in and through and out of you and I. Can you make yourself love the unloving? I can't make myself love the unloving. Love the enemies? That's what Jesus tells us to do. I can't do that. But we're instructed to do that and we have the potential to do that. So this new nature, I'm going to describe it as the beauty of a new life. The beauty of... Not hopeless confusion, but a new life, a, godli- a godly life, doing what's right, being holy or different. <clears throat> uh, you're not the same anymore. You're different in a good way. And then we're going to skip down a couple of verses. He talks about being angry and sinning, sinning not. Then we're going to get to this, the tongue thing, the mouth thing. So, okay, what are some of the ways that I'm different what, is the, what, what does it look like to have this new life? He says, don't let any unwholesome talk or words, that, that word talk is logos, which is word, the, literally the word word. <laughs> he said, don't let any unwholesome talk or words come out of your mouth. Now that word unwholesome is interesting. It's kind of like stinky rotten. <laughs> That's what it means. Now in our house, stinky rotten breath is garlic breath. Uh, we eat a lot of garlic at our house. We're the Joneses, yeah. <laughs> Anna doesn't like garlic. But anyway, uh, garlic gives you a breath, right? Not a pleasant breath. In fact, one of the things we tend to do on Sunday morning driving to church, we're not sure if we got garlic breath, so we chew mint gum. Because <laughs> we don't want to have our breath, as we talk to you, be stinky, right? All right, well, he's talking about the words being stinky. So you don't want any stinky words coming out of your mouth. You just, don't let it. Put, clamp your hand over it. Don't, don't let it out. All right. Not just be nice, but don't let anything stinky or unholy come out of your mouth. So, he's raising the standard here. And he's going to give us this, this, this word picture uh, to help us understand it. <clears throat> uh, let's read the rest of the verse. But only what is helpful for building others up. So, that's, that's the image, right? Uh, I've done a lot of construction work over my life. I've got a hammer here that I've had longer than I've been married. Uh, I got it when I was working as a carpenter before I got married. Uh, Interesting thing about this hammer. Uh, When I was building my house, uh, let's spend it 10 years, 11, 12 years ago, uh, twice somebody broke in and stole some of my tools. And the one time it was expensive tools, the other time it was my hammer. Well, I live uh, in Boonesboro, and I'm driving down Alternate 40 from South Mountain Inn toward my house, and I see a hammer laying on the side of the road. And I thought, that's strange. So I stopped, and it was my hammer. God brought my hammer back to me. Uh, I don't know, don't know why, but I'm still using this hammer. This hammer's been all over the country when I've gone on mission trips. And it's used it a lot around here in this building. I've built the houses and so forth. So I, to me, this is a wonderful illustration. I can understand this. I've built things. And most of you have built things. He said, every word is supposed to be helpful for building others up. Being constructive. Right? Um, can you imagine if our relationship, can you imagine our, our, our relationship with our spouse? If every word came out of our mouth was to build them up. Parents with your children. Every word that comes out of your mouth is going to build your children up. Children, I don't know if we got any in here. Couple over here, teens, whatever. Every word out of your mouth build your parents up and build your siblings. Boy, <laughs> build your siblings up. That'd be a good one too, right? Every word, something to build them up so it's so easily to tear people down with our words, isn't it? So you leave that person better after you've talked to them. That's another way to think about it. Most people know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Why? <laughs> to leave us better, right? Have a relationship with God. Have our sins forgiven. Now notice it says, helpful according to their needs. So, so sometimes we have to use our words to discipline our children, for example. Uh, but again, that's for the purpose of building them up, to make improving their character, if you will. So they benefit those who listen. So when I speak, it's to make your life better, to benefit you. <clears throat> uh, the message paraphrase uses this wonderful phrase. It says, each word a gift. So when I speak to you, do you feel like my words are a gift? I'm looking at my daughter over here, I don't know why. (laughs) Each word a gift. Each word a gift. I can't imagine the difference in our relationships with each other here and the people at work and anybody you and I rub shoulders with. And then he brings God into the conversation here. He says, next verse, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Speak, being part of that. Some translation says, grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make God sad. That's kind of a good way to check. Did, did I, what I just said made God sad? Did it break God's heart, what I just said? Shouldn't have said it if it did. And then he says this. Remember... He, God, has identified you as, has, as his own. So you're a child of God. Guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. So we have this unconditional promise out of God's unconditional love that if you accept God's love gift to Jesus Christ, his death in, pla- in your place, because you and I deserve to die, and we will die physically. We don't need to die spiritually, be separated from God. But if we accept that gift confess our sins, ask for God to forgive us, enter in a relationship with God, we have this unconditional promise, this guarantee <laughs> that we and God are good. And so when I die on this earth, I will be with, with Jesus forever. Guaranteed. 100%. And so, as pastors, we get to say that to people all the time, right? Jesus has done it all. You need to accept a gift. Now, so we know what we're supposed to do, most of us, so why don't we do it? I put the question this way on your outline. Why is it that you, we allow things to escalate? Why do things come out that aren't gifts? Where does that come from? And he's gonna, Paul's going to tell us. The major cause, the major reason for that is this. And he says to get rid of it. Next verse. Get rid of All bitterness. And this get rid of is like taking your trash out. <laughs> All right, taking your trash out, get rid of it. Often it doesn't necessarily the words you say, but it's the tone and often the volume of what you and I say. They are an indication that we have bitterness. Um, I put on your outline this too. Bitterness requires forgiveness. Wherever that source of that bitterness is, and often it can be t- people that are dead, people you don't even know anymore, that requires forgiveness on our behalf to get rid of it. So this is a very important statement on your outline. Forgiveness is the decision to give someone from the past what they don't deserve. The reason we're bitter about them, we don't think they deserve to be forgiven. So we're holding on to unforgiveness, we are still bitter. So forgiveness is the decision, you and I deciding, someone from our past, that don't deserve it, so that you can give those around you what they do deserve. Because the people around you don't deserve stinky words, do they? Especially your loved ones. So, when those words come out, you, you and I need to check and say, okay, where's the source of this bitterness that's causing these words to come out? And I need to offer them forgiveness, even though they don't deserve it, so I don't have this bitterness that's spewing these stinky words out to the people I love and care about. Here's kind of our sticky statement for this morning. Hopefully it'll help you remember. You can't be a builder if you're bitter. If you're bitter, you're not going to give words of of encouragement and build people up. So you've got to deal with the bitterness so you can be a builder. Then he goes on to use a list of other words that uh, are stinky, if you will. Uh, Rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all type of evil behavior. All these things tear down. Tear down relationships. Tear down people. Don't people, pe- treat people with respect. And then he says, okay, instead, if you want to build people up, here's what you're supposed to do. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted or compassionate, forgiving one another. There's that forgiveness thing. I, call, I talked about emotional intelligence in the past. Emotionally connect with, connect with that person. Then you can do words to encourage or build up. Now, this forgiving thing. How far is forgiveness supposed to go? And when we look at it, we're going to go, ugh. Because how far is it supposed to go? He tells us, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. How far is that? All the way. We're forgiven all the way. We're forgiven everything. So, I don't know what it is you, you and I might have bitterness about against who it might be against, but we need to get rid of it. It's need to go because that's just as God has forgiven you. Another way to say it, do for others what God in Christ has done for you. Forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. Build up others as God in Christ has done for you. Think of your words as construction materials. So That person's going to be a a, a better person, a bigger person, a stronger person, that building, that person's going to be added on to by my words. <clears throat> so, again, our question who are you trying to be like? Well, Paul tells us in the next two verses, it's another chapter, but the Bible wasn't written in chapters, so. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. That's a few words, because you are his dear children. Because you have. Have kids. I remember Josh and Micah were little, and I would be doing construction where I had my tools, and we bought them little plastic saws and hammers and all that stuff. And they would go along and tap on things with their hammer and try and saw with their plastic. Of course, they couldn't do it, but they're trying to imitate their father. We're supposed to try and imitate our father. And the big way we do that is with our words. The all encompassing word, of course, is a life filled with love. Just be loving. Of course, the example of Christ, who loved us and offered Himself sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Love requires sacrifice. One translation uses the word extravagant love. Are we extravagant with our love? Are we extravagant with our words? So, a couple questions for you to work on. And here's a question: Where do I have work to do with my with my stinky mouth? Right? Where can I, or how can I love better? How can I build up others better? Where do I have work to do? And if you have struggled with that, the second question will help you. Who hopes you'll get to work soon on that? <laughs> Who's the recipient of your stinky words? Obviously, for most of us, it, it's the people closest to us, right? So here's your homework. Uh, kind of the most important verse in what we look at this morning, our focus first. Don't let any unwholesome or stinky talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. Let's pray we'll have a song let you go. Father God, thank you. I thank you for this series that's impacted my life probably more than any series we've done in a long time. Got got that phrase on the refrigerator. I'm reminded over and over and over again. But God, we need to realize how important this is. We have the power to build people up with our words. We also have the power to tear them down. God forgive us, we confess it, times that we've torn people down, we are submitting our mouths to you so that we can only use them for good, for building up, and help us to remember how powerful, the power we have with our mouths. Yeah. I want to pray for anyone here, maybe it's not a Jesus follower, uh, Today, maybe this all made sense. Maybe it connected with them and they're thinking, yeah, I need to do that. I need to, I'm hopelessly confused. I need that new life. And and, uh, God, I thank you. I get to offer this by faith. Just trust, just believe it, accept it, and you will be transformed. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for that guarantee (laughs) that eternity will spend with you. In Jesus' name, amen.